0: Well, are you ready for this? Onward we press, Luke chapter 13. We're going to we're going to kind of look at the last 25 verses here in the uh, 13th chapter of Luke. And we're going to kind of break them down. Uh, one of the questions I've always had is have you ever tried to be so introspective as to say, "I wonder why I follow God? I wonder why I became a believer, or I wonder why I'm thinking about becoming a believer, or I wonder maybe why I'm not a believer. What are those reasons that push you in that direction? Some people, as we see during the ministry of Jesus, came and they just, they wanted to be healed. They were blind, or they were possessed by a demonic force, or they were hungry, or they had somebody die that needed to be raised from the dead. They wanted to be blessed by God. They wanted Jesus, this miracle worker, to kind of get Involved in their life, some of you may say, "Well, you know, I just I I I fear the idea of of hell, and I don't know if that's just a human construct or if that's something that's real, and I don't want to take that chance." And some people think about this book as kind of the fire escape, if you will, and so they don't want to be involved in that. And and but I think as we mature, some of the things that are really important for us to see is that one of the primary draws for me is that I want to be more like Jesus. I'm tired of being like me tired of being like me. I want to be more like Jesus. You know, it wasn't long ago. Well, it's actually been a while, I guess now, but it became very popular, these WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? And people were wearing them, and I've talked a little bit about that, and it's hard to do that in the moment. And I read a book uh, once. I can't remember if it was Jerry Bridges or who it was, but about uh, the disciplines or whether it was Willard and the spirit of the disciplines. You just can't at the last moment decide you're going to jump up and dunk a basketball if you've never done that before, or if you're four feet tall. And, you know, I mean, it's just, there's some things that we just can't muster, but somehow we think we can do that with Jesus and we just can become like Him. And just with effort, with a Herculean effort, I can do what Jesus did. And my own experience is that's very, very difficult. So one of the things that I have discovered is that if I fall in love with the things that Jesus himself had fallen in love with, and I have a mission similar to the mission that he had, I find myself acting and reacting in ways that were, in at times, not consistently, but at times very much in tandem with the way I see him responding and reacting to people around him during his brief three, three three-and-a-half-year ministry and his time that it was on the earth. We really only have Chronicles, one event when he was 12, and then some events for about three years, and we see this. And so we see some of the facets emerge in these latter 25 verses of chapter 13 that I think are very indicative of the very the very mission, the idea, the worldview, the way Jesus viewed the world and then the way He engaged the world. And if I find through intention that I can say, I want to transfer what He saw as vital and important into my own life, then I may find myself, again, acting and reacting in ways that are quite unique to, well, to me and my own personal experience of being all about me. You know, have you ever gotten none? You just, just me, 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 my money, my time, my vacation, my this, my that, my clothes, my stuff, my, you know, my health, my my family, my, 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 and then all of a sudden you see Jesus and he's out there living a life that seems to be very much, well, a compassionate life driven by others and not himself. It seems a far divide from where I find my my propensity to be thinking all about me, and yet, as I've slowly integrated some of those things that I see consistent in his life. I was planning to do six of these various facets of Jesus' life and maybe do three this week and then three in a, in a week to come. And yet, this morning, I just felt compelled that I'm not going to get past one. But I'm going to go ahead and describe all six to you real quickly. Are you ready for this? I think we need to pray because I don't know this. Is, I don't know where this is going. Where this may be a free-for-all and Pete's going to be back there going, you didn't tell me where we're going to go there. And sorry, Pete, in advance. So, uh, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we want to become like you. Some are trying to determine whether, in fact, you were just a teacher or an iconic person and, and determine whether or not you were, in fact, who you said you were, which was God in human flesh, which is astounding, and what the early church certainly believed and what all the prophets had seen, Lord. So, I pray for those people that are still working through who was Jesus and what, what was his mission. Lord, help us through these through these brief passages to try to, well, to try to grapple with what you considered important. Help us get through the layers of my own mind. Show me some new facets of your mission and your personality and how you are engaged in your own worldview. Lord, help me make that mine. And I pray that for anybody else who would have that desire this morning as well. We need you, Holy Spirit, to do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. You ready? To... All right, here we go. Here we go. This is dealing with healing on the Sabbath. It's a fascinating picture. It's, um, oh, man, this, this, this hurts in some ways, and it's fascinating at what religiosity can do. The spirit of religiosity can be devastating, some of you have been devastated by the spirit of religiosity. He, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, so he was in a religious place. He was in a synagogue, and there was a woman who for 18 years, 18 years had a sickness caused, caused by a spirit. Now, that's unusual. A lot of people in this modern day, we, we think, well, that's absurd. We know about medical. Uh, well, it, it was accompanied by physiological effects, There's no question that you could have diagnosed and brought as a clinician, you could have brought it in and said, well, here are your things. But the the foundational cause was a spiritual problem, and it was even a a spiritual force in her life. Now, I, I find that to be not in any way mutually exclusive from an understanding of a physical health diagnosis that we might get today. There are all kinds of people that are suffering, and I think some of it is demonically inspired. Some, some spirit has a foothold in their life, and it makes them think a certain way, and then we know that all kinds of chemicals can be released in your body and lead to a particular situation. It doesn't just have to be a spirit in the body like a demonic possession that forces some strange thing that has no physiological foundation in it. Are you with me? So remember, spiritual roots often lead to psychological and even physiological outcomes. And so I think that's probably the case here. But it was caused by a spirit. Somehow, we don't know, we aren't told what it was. This spirit had gained entry and access into her mind, into her soul, And it had led to something horrific, 18 years of suffering. Listen to what happened. And she was bent over double. I've preached on this before, could not straighten up at all. This to me is just a horrific picture. I've known one man, I've known, I've seen a couple, but I've seen one man in my life that was in this state. He was a very successful, very wealthy man. I'm not in any way suggesting that he was caused by his spirit, but I don't know that it wasn't. He was bent over double. He was here. He walked around and he had would have to turn to the side to look up. Not seen guys this way. I've kind of, I've seen people this way, heads kinda, and they have to kind of turn to talk to you. We've all encountered that. Maybe you've suffered from that, but bent over double. I've only seen one guy in my whole life. Never could look anybody eye to eye. I mean, he couldn't even sit down in a comfortable position. It, it was just devastating. verse 12 says and when Jesus saw her he didn't really care at all let's know what it says <laughs> when Jesus saw her he called her over and said to her woman you are freed from your sickness where did you get that kind of power and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again, and began glorifying God. I just try, if you do nothing else, just get this picture in your, in your head. This is Jesus. This is suffering like most of us in this room probably will never have to suffer, 18 long years. Barbara Jacobus and I were talking a little bit this morning, and she's doing better, and I had some chronic pain, as many of you know, and you've seen me preach from wheelchairs. I can relate, but 18 years, I had mine was a little bit on and off, but when it was bad, it was really bad. Uh, I can a little bit relate, but 18 years of not being able to do anything other than that, can't imagine, can't imagine the situation, and now and she's glorifying God. Think she's Do, do you think she's ever going to have a problem worshiping again in her life? I mean, would that be a posture that she would take, just the ability to stand up and raise up her hands and glorify God? I would be curious to know what the rest of her life looked like. I'm going to find that out once I go to the other side. Verse 14, but the synagogue official But the synagogue official, but the religious head, the religious guy in this situation, the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Heaven forbid anybody would be released from an 18-year malady on a religious holy day when we're supposed to be focused on God. Did that help her focus on God or not focus on God? If the fo- if the focus is to focus on God, didn't it happen? I mean, wasn't that the purpose? Can you imagine? I mean, this is this right here, this synagogue official is being profoundly affected by also by a spirit. Doesn't say that in the text, but it's a religious spirit. And remember, I've told you many times that One of the greatest hiding places for our adversary in all the world is right in the middle of religion. What a hiding place. And I'm not just talking about foreign religions or polytheistic religions or things that deny the existence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Jesus. I'm I'm talking about anything that parades as religious and can have that kind of reaction On a holy day, there's a problem there, and that, my friends, is what I would call a spirit of religiosity. What a devastating indictment on the condition of that man. Now, we have to fast forward. Will we ever have that? I pray the church at the Red Door is always defined by compassion, which is going to be one of the first things we look at in the life and ministry of Jesus is this issue of compassion compassion. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning and a little more deeply than I had intended to before I got up this morning. Well, the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. So, as it's going to be point number two, Jesus was never afraid to confront the religious spirit or confront anybody in any lack of truth because it could lead them bound all the way until eternal separation from their loving God. Jesus, as loving and compassionate as He is, we live in a culture now that if you confront anything, you're, seen, you're deemed to be a hater or compassionless. And that is not what I get in Jesus. I get in Jesus a person who is willing to confront a lack of truth and even oppression, and and that is that is driven by compassion, not the opposite. But the narrative has shifted in our culture, and now if you confront anybody about any life decision that may ultimately lead to their eternal harm, but even their even their temporary temporal harm. You're you're deemed to not just be without compassion, but even to be the problem and to be a hater. And confrontation is part of the nature of Jesus as well. It's one of the things that some of you are not adept in. Some of you are good at it, right? You have no problem with confrontation. Some of you have a hard time with confrontation. Some of you who are good at confrontation also have a hard time because you're not always confronting in compassion. You're confronting out of your own ego. And I'll raise a hand on the on Highway 111 occasionally. If I ever see you, I apologize in advance if I do anything to the opposite here. Uh, verse 16: uh, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? Of course he does. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said all this, all of his opponents were being humiliated. They were being humbled right here. They were being taken down a notch or two or three, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things being done by him, by Jesus. Now, Uh, In the weeks to come, we're going to look at, and I'm going to just real quickly go through a few of the facets of Jesus before I get into this. We're going to be looking at over the, and I'm not going to read all these verses at this moment, but Jesus' compassion this morning. We're also going to be looking in weeks to come, Jesus' willingness to confront, Jesus' instruction on the nature of the kingdom and how that can impact me. I am always want to be thinking through the lens of of how can I instruct in the nature of the unseen realm called the kingdom of God. Jesus was adept at it. He constantly talked about it. He came preaching the kingdom of God, and so should we. Even if you're not a preacher who stands up behind the pulpit and looks into a camera or looks out into an audience and says, okay, or a family of followers and has the... uh, has the beautiful privilege and opportunity to talk about the kingdom of God. You're talking about the kingdom of God, whether you know it or not, all the time in the way you live your life, in the way you view the world, and people will see that. And so, Jesus was always instructing on the nature of the kingdom. He was always warning also about the narrowness of the gate, not the wideness of it, not the broad nature of the gate, but the narrowness of the gate. So, He was willing to say... Uh, There is an exclusive way, and we should have the same mentality and yet be driven by compassion. He had an absolute resolve to finish His mission in Jerusalem for Him, which would be the cross. And I, too, have been so intrigued by the completion of my own mission that's unique to me Each one of you, whether you're aware of it or not, in Christ, once you're born again, you have gifts and you have a mission to accomplish. Some take it very seriously. Some, it's incidental to their lives, and some are completely unaware that that's even the case in their own lives. Jesus was intently aware of His mission, and as a result, other people, though they didn't understand at the time, other people were also aware of His mission are people aware of your mission? Could I go to those closest to you and say, what's the mission of John or Bob or Sally? You know, what, what, how would you describe the mission that they have on earth? If the, some of the people closest to you couldn't define that, maybe we need to revisit how serious we are about our own calling and our own mission. Jesus was absolutely riveted on His own mission. And then finally, in weeks to come, we'll talk a little bit about Jesus' love for the the Jewish people and how important that is and why that is important, why that's important. It creates a culture of honor. We have everything we have because of the Jews and the, and the way in which they've suffered, whether or not they're even believers in God, but the ways that the Jewish people have suffered to try to to be well, to to move into their calling. It's just inexplicable. You can't explain anti Semitism in the world. You can't you just can't. And yet Jesus always had a place. Paul did too. He went first to the synagogue and then into the streets, first to the Jew and then the the Gentile. There's a there's a particular orderliness that we see in Jesus. So those are what we're gonna look at in weeks to come. But first First things first, and I'm going to describe as we go through these other verses in chapter 13 how each one of these is borne out in this beautiful gospel of Luke. First of all, Jesus and His compassion. He was defined by His compassion for the lost and for the hurting. And I'm just going to give you a few instances where this is the case, and you can see it over and over. Now, if you're a Bible student for the first time and you don't know how to do this, Word studies, this is just a little sidebar here. I talk to men, I have talked to men and women about this for years. You don't know how. You read your Bible, you, it just seems really kind of overwhelming. Start. One of the greatest places to start if you want to understand the Bible more is just do a simple word study. Maybe the Holy Spirit puts something on your mind or your heart and it's maybe this word compassion comes up. You can find these simple little commentaries and all kinds of other things. and you can Or you can look up the word compassion. They have this stuff on your phone, on these apps. Now it's unbelievable. You can just hit compassion. And then it'll show you all the places in the Bible and then read all the verses that are there about compassion and then begin to think about it and think about it in different contexts and who, who was writing the letter and what they were writing about. And all of a sudden, you can find out a lot about something as simple as compassion. And when I read the word compassion and I look it up, you say, well, how do you prepare for a sermon? Well, I don't always do this, but very often it involves some kind of a word study. If we're going to talk about compassion, what would you do? I'd want to know where compassion is in the Bible. Simple as that. Don't make this more complicated than it is. Word studies are beautiful. And then write in your Bible, be a Bible writer. You find one place, find a launch point. You see my Bible. It's just crazy. It's just written out everywhere. Every page is falling apart. Why? Because I just am so... Uh, compassion. And, and, uh, and then, oh, where would I? Where would, where would the Bible talk about compassion? And then I write it down, and then I find something else that talks about compassion. And I write that verse, and I go back and find that, and I write it in there. And I write it in there, and I write it in there. And all of a sudden, the Bible begins to become your Bible, not just something that's so hard to understand. It's so far out there. I'll never understand any of this. Be a Bible writer. Don't just be someone who hears a message. And Because you know how it is. Some of you, I stand out there and you go, that was a great message, Pastor. I go, really? Well, tell me what you thought. And you go, I already forgot. <laughs> I mean, some of you do that. Some of you can remember a point or two, which is very impressive, by the way. Uh, but just be a Bible writer. You want to be this kind of person. So just a little sidebar on your own, on your own Bible unpacking. Now, when we look at the word compassion, really this is driven. we can see it right from the beginning of Jesus ministry. He comes out of the wilderness, He's been tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. why? He's because he's retracing in a sense the steps of Israel. They were 40 years in the wilderness, He was 40 days he he was he was going to be israel successful israel he was going to be the messiah where israel failed well, Jesus was going to be successful. And so he, he retraces, he gets baptized, he goes in a sense through the Red Sea through his baptism. He goes into the wilderness, he's tempted, and then eventually he's now going to cross the Jordan and begin his ministry. And as many of you know, he began it in Nazareth. We've quoted this many times. This is his coming out party. He stands up in a synagogue, and this is what happens, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That's what happens, by the way, when you're in the wilderness and you learn to worship and you learn to read your Bible and you learn to pray and you learn to, you are going to come back in the power of the Spirit. Don't think anything that's ever affected you spiritually has been through the power of Spirit in somebody else. Don't think it was that person. You can give honor to that person, but remember, if you've been impacted, it was the Spirit of God we, we got to get away from, remember what we learned this morning, it's not about princes or power of human created beings. It's about, you've got to understand, it is the power of the Spirit in people. Jesus came back in the power of the Spirit, and what happened? And news about Him spread throughout the entire district, surrounding district, and He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth, Nazareth, which is up in the very northern part of Israel, and where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. So he goes back 700 years, the, the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah had written this hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Imagine two full American experiments. I always try to say, America's been here forever. You know, we've been here. No, we haven't. Over two American experiments. Seven, over 700 years, Isaiah is saying, and this is what he's pinning. And then Jesus says this. Again, I've talked about this. I've preached on this many times, but it's just the foundation of me trying to understand what Jesus felt his mission was, and knew his mission was, not just felt. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the great news to the poor, not just the poor like I don't have anything, the poor of spirit, etc. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Here's my task. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. Just imagine, just coming over. Okay, he, he gets steps up to read. They had a big scroll. He set, closed the book. Whew. Comes down and he sets down. And and what happened? He simply said, and all eyes were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, that scripture that I just read, that Isaiah wrote 700 years ago, well, it's being fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, you want to know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be doing this. Now, he didn't know; they didn't know it was going to be another three-plus years that he's going to be doing this, but said, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be announcing the gospel to the poor. I'm going to be proclaiming release of captives, recovery of sight to the blind, both literal and physically, and to free those who are oppressed. Wow and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So if that was Jesus' compassionate ministry, what about me? I want you to go, if you would, John, I believe it's John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, sorry, Pete. I, I, it's not going to come up on the screen. It's okay. John chapter 14. I want you to now, let's think about this what you think about this? Okay, he said, but that was what Jesus did. He was the Messiah. He was God in human flesh. But what does that have to do with me? I'm 21st century. I'm just trying to pay my bills. I'm just trying to make, make my way, trying to figure out whether God's real. This is what Jesus said to his followers. Listen to what he said. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me and wor- the works that I do shall he do, verse 12, Luke 14, uh, John 14, 12, the works that I shall do I shall do. He will do also, and even greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. I don't know what you do with that. I mean, that is so staggering. I remember the first time I really read that and started try to ponder that. I just, what? Greater works? If you believe in me, Jesus is saying the works that I did, you're going to do the same thing. So, if I go back, he says, these are being fulfilled in your hearing right here, right here. You're going to do the, You believe in me, you're going to do these same things preach the gospel to the poor? That defines my life. That should define all of our collective lives. If that doesn't define the very culture and nature of church at the Red Door, then let's pack up. Grab us some raisinettes and popcorn and just head down the hall here and, and you know, forget that we'll sell the land back. I'm, I'm packing up my bags. If that is not defining the very culture and the ethos, proclaim the gospel. It's incredible news. The world's so infiltrated with this, the horror story of the evangelical right and Christian nationalism and politics and blah, 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 they miss the whole story. Jesus came to proclaim, well, to release captives and release prisoners and set the oppressed free. Are we about that? I want to be about that because he said, if you believe in me, you'll do what I did and even greater works will you do than these. That's either true or not true. Does that define your life? Forget the WWJD bracelet for a minute. You've got to get that in your thinker, in your worldview. You have to get it down into your DNA every day. You say, Well, no, I'm distracted by so many things. That was that middle song we sang there. So many petty things. But every day I have to get up. I'm about the gospel. I'm about the proclamation. I'm about I well, and I care. Well, first of all, I have to view the world as oppressed people, as dispirited people, as poverty, spiritual poverty. I have to see that, not see everybody as an opponent. Quit viewing the world as your opponent. View them as oppressed people. If they disagree with you, I know what happens. And my, I see something happen, and this can be political or it can be some big landmark institutional kind of the trends that we have, social reform, and all these different kinds of things, and some of it is right because God cares about justice, and some of it is not founded in a biblical ethos. And I get frustrated, and all of a sudden I realize that I'm I, I'm not only not being compassionate, I might even hatred might be kindled in me towards a, an opponent of some sort. I, that is not the nature of Jesus. I'm just going to turn around and preach that to me now, Jeff. That is just not the nature. you need to get your head around this and quit? I mean, really, I'm not. This is not me preaching at you. I honestly, Jeff, you have to get this in your in your heart. You have to get. it. I want to do greater works than he did. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. He was moved with compassion. The Bible simply says that he was moved with a compassion. How? He healed two blind men. They wanted to be healed, and Jesus moved by compassion. Mark chapter one, verse 40. Lepers were there. And what ha- a leper was there. And what happened? Jesus moved by compassion. What is compassion? Splanknidzamahi. That's the Greek. I just like saying it. Splank zid it's to be moved in your internal, as, as it were, your bowels, right? Like the inner, your, your organs, everything that's... To be moved with love and pity. In other words, you can feel that sometimes. You see somebody in great distress and just, oh, man, it just almost... You have a physiological response. That's what that word in the Greek means. Jesus was moved in his internal organs. It just... ah. Uh, Someone suffering from leprosy, people, blind men, and certainly in that culture, there was no government aid, They're just relegated to out begging and everything. Lepers had to be so, so much outcasts. Here's this woman bent over double, 18 years, and over and over and over, we see Jesus moved with compassion. Mark 6, verse 34, he felt compassion for the masses. Well, why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So, are there people in your lives right now that are like sheep and there's no shepherd in their life, there's no Jesus in their life? And they're just wandering out, and there there are lions and and all kinds of things. It could be alcohol, it could be just whatever it is. It could be sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it is. They're out there wandering, and pa- they're not in a fenced-in pasture with a a beautiful shepherd tending their soul. They're just wandering around. They could walk in and just try to eat a little eat a little dandelion off a of thing. There's a cliff there, and they just fall off the cliff. Do you see people like that? Jesus did. He felt compassion. He looked out. He saw all kinds of sheep. But they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved in his internal organs. Oh, do you have that? Or he's like, well, those those uh nasty people, I can't believe those sinners. And they, you know, they 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 cuss and they drink and they smoke and they do you view people that way as adversaries, either politically or or some kind of religious spirit or something? Or do you see people that are absolutely, well, they're sheep falling off cliffs, being eaten by, by tiger, lions and tigers and bears is the children's thing, lions and tigers and bears? I mean, they're everywhere. How do you view people? Jesus viewed them like this with tremendous, unadulterated compassion. Do we, do I, Lord Jesus, help us adopt, drink in. We know we have to be rooted in You. Drink in Your compassion for for the world. Do you remember the case with the woman? We looked at it in Luke chapter 7 many moons ago. With the woman at Nain, is one of the first. Was, he he raised her son. He sees a woman. He, he sees a woman. He goes in. It's near Nazareth. He see Nain is near Nazareth. He sees this woman, and here she's. They, maybe they're having to carry her. She's in such grief. It's her only son, which in that day and time would have meant an unbelievable to her. And evidently, the husband wasn't in the picture, and her son is dead. Her son is dead. Some of you have encountered losing a child, and it's grief. But in that culture, even multiplied more because now it was going to leave, probably leave her destitute on so many levels. But just the emotional toil. They're in a coffin. They're coming out. And uh, listen to what Jesus says. I'm just going to read this to you. Luke chapter 7, we were there. Again, it's not up on the deal. These are just as I was thinking about this morning. I just said, Lord, I don't want to skip over to say, you know, Jesus was compassionate, and here's why, and then go to the next one. We, I want you to speak. I felt like the Holy Spirit really this morning wanted us to really centralize our thoughts on: Are we people in the character of Jesus that deeply are moved with compassion when we see pain and suffering? Uh, Luke chapter seven, and let's just start here in verse eleven. And it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. And as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, don't weep. And he came up, touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they all freaked out, fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people, and boy, were they right in the person of Jesus, God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, moved with compassion. Just a few other things uh, as I was thinking uh, he wept. Remember Mary and Martha having lost Lazarus? He was so moved with compassion that he began to weep. And he knew what he was about to do. He was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Isaiah 35, over and over, was prophesied about all the compassionate things that the Messiah was going to do. Isaiah chapter 35. And listen to, what he, listen to what this prophecy said. It's amazing. And the wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabo will rejoice and blossom, blossom profusely. And uh, it goes on down, "'Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not.'" That's just what Jesus did. Don't, Woman, don't worry about this. He says, "'Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense, and He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like the deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy.'" And it goes on, and waters and scorched, scorched places will begin to grow flowers and vegetation. And Isaiah has seen a picture in the future, and he's seen Jesus Christ. How so? Jesus, the Messiah, in all of His glory, all of His compassionate glory. Do you see people? I, I You know, Elder Boylan was up here earlier. I'll, I'll never forget. He told me this one day Um Steve, it'll always stick with me. He says, part of his giving is to the, the working poor. He just he and Gaines have a certain amount of money that they just, when they come across people, that they know. They're, they're, it's not people, you don't get into the well, they're not working, they should be out getting a job, and there's plenty of jobs in the employment, area. and then it's no. They're just moved by compassion. He called it the working poor. He said, I just see people, you know they're struggling to pay their bills, And he says, I just, you know, keep a little money in my pocket, part of our giving, and I just give it out to various people just to bless them. Why? What motivates that? Compassion motivates that. Wanting to glorify God. Usually what happens when Jesus was moved by compassion? People begin glorifying God. They freak out, and then they start glorifying God. How did he do that? Where did that come from? That's not the normal order of the day. What do you do to your servers? People, you go to a restaurant. Are you kind? Do you ever ask them their name? I don't care what these stupid commercials are saying. Don't be like your parents, and you don't need to know the waiter's name. You do need to know the waiter's name. And I am an old man, and I am a parent, so be like your parents. Some of these, some of these things, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but they're hilarious. You should go out and look at them. So don't be like your parents. These are commercials, and, and one of the things that parents do is get the name of the waiter. Well, I want to know, and I go by, and I frequent the same restaurants over and over again. I want to get to know people, and I want to get to and, and wherever I am. I grew up at the country club. God, I, I want to know the names of the people. I want to know when they're going on vacation. I want to know the names of their children, and 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 then obviously acts of compassion can come out of that. Why? Jesus did it. We just go through life just like this. Sometimes, be cautious. I want to be like Jesus. He was moved by compassion, moved by compassion, moved by compassion, moved by compassion. And he just did it. It was awesome. People began glorifying God. You know, Jesus was so moved by compassion that he consistently risked his own reputation. His standing among the religious elite. He was always hanging out with the lowly and the outcasts and the fringe of society. Still boggles my mind that here is the, the one that would die on Mount Zion, the very place, I mean, that would save the world. He shouldn't he the, you know, shouldn't he have been able to stay at the Ritz, the Jerusalem Ritz-Carlton or whatever it was, you know? And yet he hung out with then not, probably not such great digs, and he, he was just always willing to associate with the lowly. And ultimately, how was G- Jesus driven by compassion? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, who was willing to be the Lamb of God because of his compassion that whoever would believe in Him, Jesus, would never perish but have eternal life. Jesus was stripped naked, hung up on a tree, as the prophets had foreseen for many years to come, pierced through, Psalm 22, right, 16, pierced through for our, our transgressions, Isaiah, and you don't want to. You say if you're going to argue about that particular word, maybe you're watching. Then then go to Isaiah 52 and 53, sprinkling the nations with blood. Here he is laying down his own life, completely brutalized. Why compassion for the world? He saw us as we were sheep that were wandering around and falling off cliffs and running into people, and maybe even some really mean sheep. Why? Because he came to die for the world. So one of the first facets of the character and the nature of Jesus, well, pretty simple. He just had compassion. Do you feel compassionless at times, like you just don't care anymore? The world just seems like a pretty angry place, and you just don't feel much compassion. Then, then I'm going to close in prayer, and then I'm going to have Mike come up and lead us in communion here. But I, I just I want more compassion. Um, I asked Laura this morning as as we were kind of getting right, I said, is is there anything that strikes you as a, a moment of great compassion just in our experience together? We've been married almost 30 years. Just something out there that you remember? And she goes, man, there's just been so many, so many acts of compassion towards our family through the years. It's been extraordinary. To be a recipient of compassion How can I not give it back? You know, that's one of the beauties of the church is that there's a synergy. You know, compassion comes to you, and then you give it out. And then Jesus shows you compassion, and then you reciprocate, and you give it out. And it just becomes, but you have to be aware of wanting it. Do you want compassion, more compassion in your life? Well, we're going to pray, and then Mike's going to come up and close us with with a great time. Lord Jesus, help us. Anybody who'd pray this, just, Lord, I want more compassion. I find myself being a cynic, and I don't want to be a cynic. It's not a fun way to live. I don't want to be the grumpy old man. Get out of my yard, Lord. I don't want to be that guy. Please, please don't let me be that guy. Lord, please help me. Give me more compassion. Give me the very spirit that moved Jesus at the masses. And they've been with me all day. They need something to eat. He was worried about what they were eating. He was worrying about them being oppressed. He was worried about their physical condition. He was worried about their, their dead son. I mean, the Lord, he just, you, you showed so much compassion. I want more of what you've got. In Jesus' name.